Welcome to the Northwestern Masters of the Arts and Sports Administration Revenue Above Replacement Podcast. I'm Bryce Lindner. College athletics are an often discussed topic on this podcast, and with good reason. For one, many of us interact with college athletics on a near daily basis. And two, the college athletics landscape continues to evolve. How that college athletics landscape continues to evolve is certainly a moving target. We've discussed name, image, and likeness multiple times on this podcast, but that's not the only factor impacting college athletics today. Shifting conference alignment, changing media rights, new transfer rules, and universities' reaction to a global pandemic all play a role in the current iteration of college athletics. There's no better person to discuss those changes in college athletics than our guest today, Kristen Kane Herbison. Kristen has spent all of her career in college athletics and higher education. Most recently, she served as the Senior Associate Director of Athletics for Academic Services and Student Development at Northwestern from 2013 to 2021. In that role, she oversaw operations of the department's academic services and student development programs, managing a team of seven full-time staff and an intern. The Academic Services and Student Development Office works to ensure that student-athletes of all 19 of Northwestern's varsity teams receive a full range of support in academic advising, time management, life skills, goal-setting, financial aid, and various other academic and developmental services needed in their pursuit of excellence both on and off the field. Kristen served as the main liaison from the Athletics Department to the academic community on campus and served as the university's undergraduate counsel. She was also a member of the Department of Athletics and Recreation senior staff and worked as a sports administrator for the cross country and women's tennis programs. Prior to joining Northwestern, Kristen worked at the University of Illinois for 15 years, most recently as the Director of Academic Services, where she managed 12 full-time counselors and two graduate assistants. She started her career as a graduate assistant in 1999 at the University of Illinois Irwin Academic Center before being hired as a full-time academic counselor in 2001. Throughout her time at Illinois, she had various duties, including oversight of study hall and tutor programs for all teams, as well as academic counseling for a variety of sports, including cross country and track, softball, gymnastics, football, and men's basketball. Before promotion to director of academic services, Kristen spent eight years as a lead academic counselor for the Illinois football program. Kristen graduated magna cum laude with a double major in sociology and physical education from Lores College in Dubuque, Iowa in 1998, where she was a member of the women's basketball team. She holds a master's degree in kinesiology from the University of Illinois, where she also worked as a teaching assistant for the Department of Kinesiology. It's always a pleasure to speak with Kristen because she brings not only incredible insight into college athletics, but she brings that insight with such enthusiasm while still seeing all sides of the conversation. So we hope that you all enjoy this discussion with Kristen Kane Herbison. Kristen, thanks so much for, for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. So there's a, a lot of really interesting topics that I wanted to dig into around college athletics and, and more specifically college athletics administration. But if we rewind this all the way back, can you tell us you know, how you got into college athletics from the beginning? Sure, sure. So I uh, actually went to a Division three liberal arts school in Iowa called Loris College, uh, and I was a basketball student athlete. So that was kind of my first introduction to college athletics at the Division three level. Um, and while I was there, kind of uh, 
you know, was searching for what I want to do career-wise afterwards, um, but really enjoyed my athletic experience and kind of got to the point where I thought I wanted to teach and coach at a small college, you know? So if you're coaching there, you're also teaching in their, uh, you know, typically sport management, sport administration, physical education program. So I was a sociology and physical education major at Loris, and I was fortunate enough to have this really awesome sociology professor who had a great love of sport. And so he would, you know, be at our games and cheering for us, but then also uh, try to get me to think critically about sport a little bit. And so he had the goal of creating a sport sociology course that he wanted to teach. So he used me as a guinea did an independent study with him where we kind of broke down um, a textbook and, you know, kind of set up what the course would look like when he taught it. And that introduced me to the field of sports sociology and the fact that there were actually graduate programs in that. And it was something I could study further. And knowing that I wanted to coach in college at the time, um, I had to get a graduate degree. And obviously, if I was going to teach, I needed that, too. And um, so I decided when I graduated from Loris to go the path of find the graduate program I really like and study that and then try to get my foot in the door in athletics um, and, and start coaching after I started the grad program. Um, so I went to the University of Illinois. They had a great program in kinesiology there that had an emphasis in uh, what was called it the sociocultural kinesiology or sports sociology. And so I got a master's degree in that. And while I was doing that, I was kind of trying to work in athletics in whatever way I could. So I was a scorekeeper at women's basketball games and I was, you know, doing things like that. Um, but I had a, a fellow grad student in my program assistant in the academic services and student development office on campus. So it served the 500 varsity student athletes at Illinois. And I knew nothing of that because Division Three athletics doesn't have anything like that. And so um, for me, it was a really interesting field because it kind of combined my interest in athletics and also my interest in education and kind of fostering higher, you know, higher education for students. And so he left. He got a full time job as an academic counselor and his graduate assistant position opened up. And at the time I was a TA and I liked that, but I, I wanted a little bit different challenge. And so I was able to get his graduate assistant position um, and started that at Illinois. And that was kind of the beginning of the career. So I, I did that. I finished my master's degree and um, decided that maybe coaching wasn't what I wanted to do. I watched the coaches at Illinois while I was working and I really didn't like recruiting. I thought that that was a, you know, really they were flying all over the place and trying to convince, you know, 16 and 17 year old students to come, you know, come to their school. Um, I thought, well, I don't know that that's for me, but I really liked the idea of the helping piece of it and still being involved in the lives of the student athletes, um, but on a different level. And so um, I was really fortunate then in my career that um, over a span of about 15 years, I kind of got to do every single job at Illinois. You know, I think a lot of times people in a, a student development or student services field have to change places. You know, they have to move around the country and go to different institutions when they are ready for a new challenge. And for me, I was super fortunate and I had some really great mentors that when the time came and I was ready to try something new, opportunities opened up and they gave me a chance. And so I kind of worked my way up. And um, after about 14 years, became the director of the uh, academic services and student development office down at Illinois. It's a really interesting path. I think, you know, back to it's almost <clears throat> what's interesting about sports sometimes is that, you know, you look at it from a science perspective. It's almost like having a liberal arts piece of that right. sports, you know, education, which is something you don't often get, but I think it's really valuable and really interesting because there are so many things in sports that take that, whether it's psychological, psychological or sociological, you know, slant to them because right. of the team environment. Right. 
Very much so. Um, and I, you know, I think I found that ability to kind of apply some of those sociological sociological concepts really early on when I was working with students, you know, where I would have a first generation college student who was, you know, really working with some challenges. And those are things that I had thought about theoretically. And I was seeing them in practice day to day. And how do I help this student navigate a university when they have no idea what, you know, college education or higher ed is like or anything like that. And I found a lot of satisfaction and being able to both apply those things I'd been studying, but also, you know, be in a service type role. Right. And then after that time in Illinois, you evolved that into, was it a similar role at Northwestern or was it? It was. was. Actually, it was kind of a lateral move. So I was moving to Chicago for personal reasons and I'm from the area. And at the time that I was ready to do that, um, the director position at Northwestern opened up. So that individual that had been in that role had been there for 25 years. She was the only person who'd ever done it. And she was retiring right at the time that I was moving. And so I had known her as a colleague um, in the Big Ten. We were really lucky. We have a group of kind of academic directors that work together a lot. And so I had known her and and knew that that was happening and was able to apply for that position and um, then spent about eight and a half years at Northwestern. I think what's so interesting about those positions and the work that you've done is that for the lay, you know, it, consumer or fan or, or, you know, someone who didn't play college athletics on that, that high level, you even mentioned it from, you know, we didn't have this at the Division yeah. three level. The inner workings of a college athletic department are much larger than any of us ever know. Right. And, and I think that to, to see, you know, your, your role at North, Northwestern was the, you know, student development or, or a senior associate director of athletics for mm-hmm. academic services and student development. Right. Makes a lot of sense. The words do, but I didn't, you know, a lot of us didn't know that existed. So I guess, can you dig into what that does or what, what is the, sort of the remit of those people in those, those services for those student athletes? Yeah. So I think the, the profession it- itself was born out of this need to make sure that student athletes were graduating. So back in the like late seventies, early eighties, there were a lot of issues in college athletics with student athletes not graduating from college and that then, you know, the university is kind of just being factories for these athletes. And, um, and so they created this profession, the NCAA mandated that all division one universities had to provide some sort of academic support to student athletes. Um, and so that profession kind of just steadily grew over the years. Um, and even when I, you know, started in that, role, there were maybe seven or eight full-time people at a place like Illinois that had 500 student athletes. And now they're probably at 20, you know, so those professions have continued to grow, but um, it really became this position that was providing support off the field and off the court. You know, they found that coaches were kind of inundated with all of these things. You know, as a coach, you wear a lot of hats, right? So you're coaching and you're recruiting and, you know, you're responsible for your budget and the management of your program and all those things. But they were also having to make sure that students were going to class and make sure that they were, you know, finding majors that suited them and that they were balancing all of their kind of life needs and developing life skills, financial literacy, you know, personal development, character development, all of those things. And that's really too much for one person to handle when they have a, you know, a huge team. And so this idea of academic support kind of was there to help them manage the off the field responsibilities, you know, so how do I balance everything that's coming at me from an athletic standpoint, from an academic standpoint, from a social standpoint, we know that about college students, it's this time when they, you know, develop into the adults and the citizens that they're going to be in the world. And so how do we make sure that they have resources and support and people who can help kind of guide them on that path? So while I, a lot of the work I was doing was day to day, like academic breakdown, you know, what I have to be doing and how do I get 
tutoring help and things like that. Um, but it was also a lot of just general, how do I navigate life? You know, how do I, I never did my own laundry. How do I do, you know, how do I write a check or, you know, things like that, that um, students were having to do for the first time that they had never done. Well, I think that's really interesting because, you know, from my own personal perspective, I think one of the most valuable things that I learned as an undergraduate, kind of by happenstance, was time management, right? And you, part of that was driven by my own self and, and so on. But you layer on top for student athletes, you know, I, we forget the, the enormous time commitment that they have, right? And so to balance that piece plus the academics plus figuring out, you know, how I navigate life, there's a lot to do. And I think that that makes those support services really vital. Absolutely. The time I think I tell every student athlete in every recruiting visit I've ever done um, that time management is the most important skill that they're going to learn. And even if they're really great at it in high school, um, it just the game changes when they get to college. And, you know, they don't factor in things like, you know, I have to get treatment for an injury or I'm, you know, traveling on this bus or, I'm, you know, all these things that maybe are different um, than what they were experiencing previously in high school and, you know, are kind of just adding to some of those stressors that they need to manage. And so if you look at an athletic department and again kind of taking this track of yeah. opening up and, and knowing what's sort of there you know thinking back to me when I was a kid right you'd see someone like Barry Alvarez on television right and you knew who that was but if you look at sort of the the view inside an athletic department it, this is is this a role that sits say inside you know under the athletic director is it a separate department how are those things sort of mixed together yeah really great question and I think you'll see it look differently at different institutions based on kind of the philosophy of the institution and the structure of the athletic department. Um, they typically used to always be housed directly in athletics. And so all academic support was underneath the athletic director, typically a couple levels down, right? So there might be a deputy AD or a senior associate AD that was under the athletic director that reported directly to athletics. Um, and then you'd have this academic support staff that was its own kind of wing. Um, usually that deputy AD is the person who's overseeing a lot of the internal operations of the department. So they also are in charge of things like sports medicine or, you know, sports performance and, you know, conditioning and strength and conditioning, things like that. Um, you know, I think one of the things that's happened over the years is as there have been some academic scandals at institutions or issues with academic integrity, you've seen some of the departments move their reporting lines outside of athletics. So they might have a reporting line directly to a provost's office or, you know, something like that. Um, but the then, you know, they have a dotted line into athletics. So, you know, just in the Big Ten alone with those 14 institutions, there's we're almost 50-50 where their athletics report versus um, reporting, you know, outside of the, the athletic department to some extent. Um, and there's value in both. Yeah, there's value in both. I think um, the university sometimes, you know, doesn't always understand what the athletic department is trying to do. And they look at things like scheduling and all of that. And I we're flying all over the country. And how is that helping them from an education standpoint? And so I think there's some challenges when, you know, you're trying to work between those two worlds for sure. But that is the job of the advisor. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And I mean, again, a, a vital part that, that a lot of us don't really know about. I mean, I think if you rewind it back, you, you mentioned sort of athletic departments are seeing the graduation rates for lower or whatever. If you look at the landscape now versus when you started doing that, has that role or that, that changed because of that role and the support that's there? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think you see um, certainly see higher graduation rates across the board at all institutions for all populations and demographics of students, for sure. Um, I think the other thing that you see is just a different level of preparedness. So even if those student athletes are not staying in college and not earning a degree, you're seeing plans put in place and skills developed to where those students know how they can come back and get that degree. Uh, those students have learned how to you know, manage their life in a way that going to put them in a position to be successful beyond their time in college. Um, my mentor, who is um, now the athletic director at Eastern Illinois University, Tom Michael, one of the early things he taught me, um, he had a sign hanging in his office about it was, um, we give them back better than we got them, was how he, was what his sign was. And I, we worked with a student, it was kind of, there was a student athlete there that was kind of um, the impetus for me getting into this as a career. My work with him really kind of told me this is the job you should be doing. Um, but he was a student that we knew wasn't going to graduate. He had no intention of graduating from college. He was playing professional basketball. He was leaving as soon as it made sense for him from an athletic standpoint. And I, I was like, well, we're okay with that. I remember asking, I was an intern and I was, you know, kind of naive. And I was like, well, we're all right with that. And he's like, we have to be, and this is, you know, this is, we're going to do everything we can while we have this student to try to prepare him to be successful afterwards. And, um, and so that really kind of shaped my thought behind the work that we did. Our goal is always going to be to graduate student athletes, but it doesn't always work that way. And so what are the things that we can do to help those individuals be ready? But I think you've seen a lot of changes in the NCAA and, um, you know, the type of support that's being offered, you know, the funding that's being given to these things in athletic departments. Um, there's actually donors that, you know, want to give their money specifically to, you know, academic support and student development. And so certainly we've seen changes across the board in, in students graduating. Uh, the NCAA implemented a a graduation success rate probably about almost 15 years ago now um, that was looks at a measurement and a metric different than the federal graduation rate. And so you'll see those numbers are, you know, in the 90 percent, you know, pretty much across the board now, which is great. Well, and that kind of matches. It's interesting because it matches with my view and, and my view is a little bit myopic in the sense that, you know, if you look at now teaching at Northwestern and, and the students that, you know, What's been really interesting and refreshing to me is that students have such a realistic view on their being a student athlete and what they're doing there. And I think that many of them, you know, are really relish the opportunity to get an education at an institution like Northwestern and still play a sport. But you also see a lot of them taking advantage of this extra year of eligibility that they have and right. moving on to graduate school. And so that sort of marries up, you know, you're saying that it, it's, it's gotten much better and continue to evolve. Kind of marries up with what I've seen because I certainly see those, those student athletes really contributing to, to especially my course and other courses in the program. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that at Northwestern and other places Western is the culture uh, that the teams build around education and the value of education. One of the things, you know, Illinois was a high academic institution. I loved my time there. I worked with a lot of phenomenal student athletes. Um, but one of the things that was a little bit different in moving from the public institution to Northwestern as a private institution um, and, and a really high academic institution was um, I didn't have the responsibility as an advisor to get students to understand the value of their education. Every coach that I worked with across all 19 sports, football and men's basketball and field hockey and, you know, softball and all of them, those student athletes came in as first year students expecting to get their college degrees. And so that was one thing that kind of got taken off my plate. I didn't have to do that. So I was able to dive in and really do the work with them. And um, so I think Northwestern is, is really fortunate to have a student athlete population like that. Um, 
as far as the the extra year of eligibility, you know, I think there's sometimes this notion that it's like, I, you know, I want to get my four years to, you know, go out in the professional world. And we see that a lot with Northwestern student athletes that they, you know, they put themselves in positions to get really awesome jobs um, when they're finished with college. But, you know, one of the things even we say to them is people who are trying to prepare them for life after school is don't rush it. There's, you know, like there's plenty of time to do that. And you only have a short window of time in which to be an athlete. And if you're liking your experience, do it, you know, like take advantage of, of every opportunity you have to, to compete as an athlete while you can. You're right. I mean, just recently we had Zach Oliver on the podcast, former Northwestern quarterback, and he started a a company, he's a co-founder of a company called Matchpoint Connection, which is an NIL marketplace. And I think it's a perfect example of, you know, he talked about all the things that he learned, not only as a student athlete, but those things separately, a student and an athlete that then, you know, he parlayed into a a career in finance and then eventually wanted to get back in sports. And I think it was a really good use case in how a student athlete can take all of those different learnings and different skills and really bring them together for later in life. Yeah, absolutely. Zach's a great example of a, you know, a Northwestern student athlete and the success that they can find. When I heard about what he was doing, um, I was like, it's perfect timing and it marries all of the things that he's good at. And he's got this incredible network of people um, through Northwestern athletics that he's going to be able to connect with to, to make that business successful. So for Happy sure for him yeah and I, he he it, it's such a unique perspective that he brings right in the sense that he was a student athlete right so he right. i think one of the coolest things that they did or, or are doing is you know in creating that marketplace and making it very easy and less intimidating for students right. student athletes to approach that which i think right. is you know interesting i guess that brings up an interesting point though and you and i've talked about this in the past is you know, Zach is working in, a, in an area name, image, and likeness, and so on. Yeah. If you think back to your time as a student athlete, or when you started, you know, at Illinois or at, at Northwestern, how do you feel about the state of college athletics today, as, as they're currently constituted? Yeah, um, fascinating. I would say is the the word I would use to describe it. Um, to see what's happened over the last twenty years and how dramatically different it is, um, it's just absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, a lot of the changes that have happened, they were necessary. You know, they were necessary to um, make it valuable and safe and respectable and all of that, you know, for the student athletes themselves. Um, it's just the world is different. You know, there was no, I mean, the internet was happening. Like, you know, kids were just starting to use the internet, I think, when I started, which is insane to say, um, you know, and cell phones and social media and all that has happened in this last kind of 20 years um, for student athletes. And and they're just different. The student athlete is different now. I think 20 years ago, they came into college and they still were of the mindset that my coach is going to tell me what to do. And I'm just going to listen to what my coach says and I'm going to do it. And then hopefully, you know, I'll, I'll be successful. And the, the world is different. You know, students aren't like that anymore. And students want to have a, a voice in what's happening to them and how the programs are being run and how their lives are, you know, um, we talk about time management and things like that. Like they want more control um, and that's okay. And we have to listen to that and we have to work with that. And so the fact that NIL and, you know, social activism and social media and all these things are, you know, kind of um, taking the forefront in college athletics right now, it makes sense to me based on the generation of students that's in school. You're right. That generation of students definitely has more information at their disposal, right? And the ability to make decisions more autonomously because of of that information. But there's kind of the flip of that too. And I think you and I have talked about this before, but it's, it's a bit odd that fans have a direct line to those student athletes, right? 
And I think sometimes we forget their kids. In, right. in essence, can be, right. and you know, if you have a bad day, and and then it, you still got to get your homework done, and and you have friends that you want to, you know, normal college student, you know, worries, but then fans have a direct line to you, and and right. can you know, and, and did you see that at your time, especially at Northwestern, as becoming something that that student athletes were having to deal with? Oh, for sure. You know, and I mean, you think about the difference between 20 years ago and it was like somebody could boo me while I was walking off the court or something like that. But that was about it. You know, like unless they ran into you in a restaurant somewhere, they weren't really going to be able to communicate their frustration about your bad game, you know, and now they can do it really quickly, anonymously. And, it, you know, words hurt no matter if somebody's saying them to your face or you're reading them. Um, and I think, you know, one of the things as you think about, you know, college athletics is the kind of the day-to-day life and the things that they're doing, those things haven't changed, right? So they're still going to class and being full-time students. They're still trying to learn how do I navigate a college campus? I'm 18 years old and I've never done any of this before, you know? So there's that in and of itself is stressful to any college student anywhere. And then you throw on like, oh, that's right. I also played on national television and, you know, missed that game-winning shot or whatever. And everybody knows it. And, um, you know, and so I think the pressure that student athletes feel today is extraordinary. And I think, you know, as you think about working in college athletics, that's one of the biggest um, concerns. It's one of the biggest focuses that any coach, academic advisor, college athletic administrator, AD, that's what everyone's thinking about is how do I protect my student athlete? How, I, how do I teach them enough to make them, you know, be able to be resilient and gritty and all those things that are going to make them successful as a student athlete and as a person um, but that aren't necessarily ingrained in every student when they come. You know, we can't assume that everyone's super resilient and can just handle, you know, the pressure that they're feeling from a random fan or, you know, anything like that. And so it's, um, it's definitely required more of people working in college athletics. So I, I don't want to hit on name, image, and likeness too much because you and I have discussed this in panel discussions, and, and we've had some guests talk about this in the past. But thinking of all those things that add to the, you know, what the student athlete has to deal with, now you throw name, image, likeness in the mix, and, and something they have to navigate. I mean, do you see that? I, I guess the question is, there's two sides of the argument, right? Lots of positives. There could be negatives. There's things to deal with. As a student athlete, how do you look, and or how have you seen student athletes start to navigate those things? Yeah, it. You know. I think I've said this before that the time was long overdue for NIL to be an option for students. They should be able to capitalize on their personal name, image, and likeness. Um, but that being said, like what comes from that is this whole other thing that, you know, this whole other animal they haven't dealt with. I have to read contracts and I'm negotiating things and I'm, you know, they, this whole business acumen that we expect that they have um, and they're 18 and they don't know that. And now you're even hearing like, you know, that some of these things, even though it's not supposed to be impacting recruiting, it is. And so then you've got, you know, high school students and obviously parents are involved and things like that. Um, I just, you know, it's so much. And so while I think it's a great opportunity for students, and I think you're going to see benefits across all sports, not just, you know, your revenue sports like football and basketball, but for all student athletes, there's going to be some really great opportunities. It also adds a level of another requirement, you know, another thing that we need to be teaching them as quickly as we can. You know, I think from, from the perspective of somebody who was in academic services and student development, a lot of our work 
work early on with first-year students is in kind of helping them make a smooth transition from high school to college. And what does that mean? That's time management and stress management and resources, mental health and financial and all those things that they have to learn about on, in a college campus. And now all of a sudden it's NIL and we have to teach you as quickly as we can how to make sure that you are fully reading the contract and what that means and how the rules apply and, you know, all these different things that they have to be thinking about. And even those students who think why, you know, I don't have any intention of capitalizing on my name, image and likeness right now. You know, I'm just, uh, you know, not really playing and all that. Some of them are having opportunities to do that in a way that they didn't expect. We receive these whole team, the entire softball team at this school has an NIL agreement. And so now I'm this person who never had any intention of doing this, who now is feeling like, oh, I guess I should because the opportunity is on the table for me. And uh, so I just think it adds another level of responsibility for students and for departments in a way that it didn't before. So it's great. Um, but it's just a lot more, you know, and so while you're seeing some students do amazing things, you know, and certainly, um, you know, people with talents and skills that have nothing to do with athletics, that they can now monetize those. That's great. You're seeing student athletes who, you know, have these incredible personalities and these incredible gifts, you know, from a social standpoint that are being able to use those. You're seeing student athletes across the country do really great things um, as far as making money and then, you know, donating it to charities of their choice, you know, really awesome things from an NIL perspective. But then it's also the wild west, you know, there are, there are no rules in a lot of places. And so the equity piece of it is a huge concern from a coach and administrator standpoint. Um, and it, you know, someone, the NCAA, <laughs> the United States government, somebody has to figure out how to, to uh, get a handle on that and make it a little bit more equitable. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot, I mean, you know, as we've talked about in the past, there's so much that goes into it and it, it is kind of a land grab right now of trying to figure out what, you know, how it evolves. It's cool to see some of these companies like we talked about with, with Zach Oliver and what he's yeah. doing. I guess a different question about this though, is, you know, from your, you know, historical context and all the great work you've done at universities, where do you see the university fitting in? in in this space whether it's regards with the university or the student athlete you know three years five years ten years from now yeah it's a great question you know i think right now the the perspective is kind of universities need to be hands-off on it because of you know the way that the rules and there's not a lot of them but there are some the way that those are kind of um written it would say that you know departments and universities and all that should not be influencing student athletes and students make their own choices and we just need to monitor what they're doing um but then you see some changes you know the university of nebraska kind of uh, their athletic department is getting a little bit more involved they're kind of one of the first ones that's a little bit more hands-on with what their student athletes are doing and so it'll be interesting to see what happens with them i you know that's a a really great question that I don't know the answer to as far as what does this look like five or 10 years from now? Um, are there opportunities for student athletes and universities to be able to, you know, combine efforts and, you know, really do some incredible branding things and all of that? Absolutely. You know, I think there's so much to that, but how do we do that in a way that um, makes sense for the student, makes sense for the university, falls within rules. Um, it'll be interesting. I don't know. It is. I mean, and, and as we talked about a bunch, it's it really, the Wild West is a good way to describe that. I mean, I use this, the silly analogy of when I was in graduate school, social media, social media was just becoming a thing. Yeah. And when people got out of graduate school, they're like, wait a minute, I understand social media and I have a master's degree. You should hire me. I think that in some ways this is kind of like that in the sense that we just really don't, the pace of how it's evolving is something that's 
it's crazy, right? Right. But I think if you look at NIL and, and those other things facing students, I mean, what do you think going forward are sort of the biggest challenges that, that athletic departments face or the student athletes face as, as we look to the next, you know, short, medium, long term? Yeah, I think, you know, just kind of equity in general is something that they need to be paying attention to. And so that's certainly all those things with Title IX and gender equity and all of that that we've looked at before. And as you think about budgets and departments, you know, they're still kind of reeling from some of the budget issues with COVID and the pandemic. And so um, as they try to scrape out of those and, and kind of get back um, on normal ground, um, just making sure that, you know, if they've had to cut sports or things like that or cut budgets, that they kind of get those things equitable. As you think about NIL, looking at the equity of that across the you know the nation, um, and how do we make sure that there's some kind of fundamental rules that everyone has to follow so that the game is fair for everyone? Um, and then I think you know, on the flip side of that equity piece is also kind of just thinking about everything that's been happening in our country from a social justice standpoint, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as far as how we train our coaches and our staff, how we give students opportunities um, to be educated and be developed in that way um, so that they're prepared to go out into the professional world with the tools that they need to be successful in that regard. Um, and then I think probably the other thing is just really listening to the the student voice and the student need and what are they telling you that they want and they need. And I, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but 20 years ago, kids were coming into college, student athletes were coming into college and they were, um, you know, just like, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do a coach, you know, and that was kind of just the way of the world. And that is not the way of the world anymore. They're going to come in and say, I want to use my platform as a student athlete for this particular cause. Um, and we have to find a way to support them in that, you know, and balance that with maintaining, you know, the culture of the athletic department and all of that too. And so I think that's a real challenge you throw on top of that. We've got 8,000 responsibilities that we're asking of these student athletes or that they're asking of themselves, expecting of themselves. Um, and that's a lot of pressure. And so, you know, I think we've talked about before just the mental health challenges of college students in general and the fact that, you know, student athletes aren't immune to that um, and that we want to make sure that we're paying attention to that and providing support and resources for them kind of every step of the way. I think a heartening thing to see in that area is that I think that student athletes today, and, and I think students in general, have more of an understanding of those pieces and how they impact their lives. I mean, it, even thinking back to what I was in undergrad, there was much less talk of your mental health and, and how all of these things can you know, impact that. But I think students today and student athletes especially really look, you know, to ensure that they can, can keep that on track while being a student athlete. Yeah, I, I am grateful for that. I will say that um, students that, you know, the stigma isn't gone, um, but it's, you know, we've destigmatized it in the sense that students understand the support is there and they know to seek it out and they talk to their teammates about it and things like that, which I think is great. I can remember very vividly, like 10, 15 years ago, even um, working with student athletes. And now that I know what I know and I've, I've been educated and I've learned things over the years, that was a mental health crisis that student was in and no one recognized it. You know, a coach didn't, a sports medic medicine person didn't, I didn't. Um, and now I know it to have been the case, you know? And so, I think when we know better, we do better. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're in a situation now where departments are, are really attuned to that. Coaches are applying different principles and practices and how they coach student athletes so that, you know, they're conscious of, of their mental health and, and their needs. And I think that that's a big win for college athletics right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you mentioned one thing too that I've thought about a lot and seen a lot written recently or, or you know, over the past year, year and a half is you took mentioned the athletic programs at certain universities, a lot of universities have been cut, right? And I think many of those were cut because of budget, because of the current situation that we were in or the situation at the time. But a lot of the maybe think pieces or other things that you read is that athletic departments were looking to cut those anyway and hadn't that this gave them an excuse to do that. Do you find that to be true or do you think these sports are coming back? How do you think that that landscape will sort of play? Yeah, you know, I think there's probably some truth behind that. You know, you were seeing some athletic departments that were operating with 30 or more varsity sports. And to be able to do that in this world, you know, knowing what it costs to run a football program at a really high level. And then you're thinking, okay, I've got 29 other sports besides that, that I'm trying to fund. Um, I have to believe that there are always conversations um, about, what does our department look like with 25 versus 22 sports? And, you know, that people are always thinking that, but I also think they're always operating in a way in which like, how can we do everything possible to not have to cut a sport, you know? So when they get to the point where they have to do it, I think they feel like there is no point of return. Like it is our only option because doing that is just crushing to student athletes. You know, if you've been somewhere and you've been participating in your sport for two or three years and your university decides to cut it, it's just a crushing experience for them. Um, so, you know, certainly the transfer portal is there and students are able to find other opportunities, but I've worked with a number of student athletes that have come in as transfer students from various places where their sports were cut. And, um, it's just, it's, you know, it's just an incredibly difficult thing for them to have to go through. And, um, so I think departments are trying to do everything they can to not cut them, but it absolutely is something that people are always thinking about. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things back to, you know, the average fan doesn't see all the things, you know, we think, okay, well, these sports are on television with, especially with all the conference networks now, and you can see, you know, lots of different sports on television all the time. We think, well, these have to be healthy and, and thriving and, and so on. But it's, it's one of those things that I'm sure behind the scenes, there's a lot of toil in that. Right. Yeah. But I think that kind of leads to, you know, a lot of our listeners are very interested in college athletics, but also look to get into college athletics, right? And and I think that what's really great about this conversation is to see all the different sides of it. It's not, oftentimes we see it from the outside as the athletic director, but there's so much inside of that. And I think, you know, for those folks that are looking to, to try to navigate that whole ecosystem, you know, do you have any advice or do you have any sort of best practices around how to navigate those athletic departments? Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, I think um, early on, someone who's trying to get their foot in the door, my best piece of advice is to find any opportunity you can to do that. And it's not going to be some really high paying, you know, high profile job where there's a lot of glitz and glamour to it. Um, You are going to be the person that is working really hard behind the scenes, a lot of hours, you know, college athletics as a, a career is a grind. It's wonderful. Like I, I can't speak enough about the incredible experiences I had and relationships I built. Um, but I also worked my tail off. And I, I think I had good mentors that said, get in and be all in, and then you're going to get your opportunities. And so that was, that was good advice for me as a young person. I would give the same advice to other people. I think the world today and even, you know, after COVID even more so, you know, people are like, I don't, I don't know that I want that job with all that stress and, you know, all those hours and travel and things like that. But 
that is college athletics. So if you're getting in, walk in knowing that it's going to be a lot of work and it's nights and it's weekends. And But in the midst of that hard work is where you grow and where you get opportunity and where you meet people and where you have these incredible experiences. Like my, you know, my great stories about my career don't come from, you know, having been at the Rose Bowl or the Final Four or things like that, which I had those opportunities and they were great. But um, it was from, you know, I'm in the football stadium at 10 o'clock at night trying to help three students get through a really difficult, you know, academic situation and all that. And like, those were the times when they grew and I grew and, you know, and we developed those relationships. And so I think, don't be afraid of the grind, you know, cause you're gonna, you're gonna have it no matter what, but it's also those people who are willing to do that, who are going to get those opportunities, you know, and, um, that kind of separate from that, as you think about, you know, people say, I want to be an athletic director and like, how do you get there? You know, and it used to be, you really had to have, you know, an external focus. You had to be the person that was in development and things, you know, we had that fundraising experience. And I think that's changed a little bit. I think you're seeing more people come out of spaces like academic services and student support or sport medicine and kind of then advancing into sport administrator roles or athletic administrator roles and eventually getting into an ADC. And so I, I find that really refreshing that people can go into the area in athletics that suits their personality and suits their expertise and their skill set and then continue to grow from there. So, um, but my best advice is don't be afraid of the grind. Do it and um, um, jump in any way you can get in um, and work really hard and you're going to impress people and get your opportunity. You know, something one of my one of my good friends told me who works in, in athletics, he said, athletics is enjoyment for most people. Right. And you're working when other people are, you know, their leisure time for, right. for lack of a better term. And so you are the nights, the weekends, those things are all there because sports is a leisure activity for most people. So it's a really, it's really good sound advice there. And I think one thing you also brought up too about athletic directors, you know, there was often a thought in the past of why well, you were a coach or you were a male coach, you were a football coach, but that isn't the case anymore as much. You see too, you know, there's a lot of athletic directors today in, in power five conferences that, you know, got an MBA and worked at McKinsey and then, and, right. and so it's, it's, it's really opening up. And I think that's, what's interesting about that path is it's so hard to nail down, right? It's so hard to nail down what it is, but I think that, that don't be afraid of the grind piece applies everywhere, right? right. Not only inside athletics, but, but in, in the ways to get there too. Yeah. For sure. And I think, you know, as you get in too, so somebody gets a foot in the door, um, I, I hear from students that I've worked with and, you know, former student athletes or students that I've taught things like that, that, you know, they get an internship and they're like, okay, I'm doing this job. What, you know, what else should I be thinking about? And it's use that time to try to find other opportunities and to meet people and to, you know, and I think you'll see a lot of departments now trying to help young professionals network in a way that they didn't used to, you know, so much of that used to be on the person themselves. And now the departments are trying to set up mentorship programs and things like that to help young people. And one, to keep them, to keep really good talent inside of college athletics and not let them be lured away by, you know, other companies and higher salaries and things like that, but also to, you know, kind of help them develop and grow and all that. No, it's really good advice. I mean, really sound advice, not only in college athletics, but in life in general. I mean, Kristen, there's a bazillion questions that I could ask you, but I think it's a good place to end it with with that advice. And we, you know, it's always great to talk to you and we we really appreciate your, your time and your insights today. Yeah. Thank you so much. 